1: Find love at first drive and start shopping now at CarMax.com. CarMax, the way car buying should be.
0: Time now for the Yahoo Sports College Podcast. With
1: Pete Thamel,
0: uh, I'm a terrible stat person. I'm a terrible numbers person. Uh, pretty much a terrible person. But.
1: <laughs> and SI's Pat Forty. Well, I was at Kentucky Duke in '92, and the similarities between that game and this game were profound. All right, welcome to the late night post NCAA tournament championship version of the pod. If you think I don't sound like Dan Wetzel, you're correct. I am not Dan Wetzel. I'm Pat Forty. I am joined by Pete Thamel. And Wetzel, the last that we heard from him was getting soused on the beach in Marco Island. This is kids' spring break. And we kept getting a succession of pictures from uh, Dan of, you know, buckets of beer, cocktail glasses, I think there might have even been a wine glass in there. It was it was very obnoxious, taunting that while we have been grinding it out in the pseudo bubble, Dan has been <laughs> lollygagging. He's still lollygagging. We should uh, get him back later this week. But for now, you got me and you got Pete, who are both in Indy, both at the Section Eight Residence Inn, as Pete lovingly dubbed it, <laughs> uh, a a rather rather sketchy residence inn. I mean, the rooms are fine. The clientele's a little, eh. uh, but we've <laughs> We've been here since, like, Carmelo Anthony was in college. Uh, and <laughs> we will ha- happily go home tomorrow.
0: Yeah, 40 weeks from now, Pat, we'll be, we'll be here for the national title game in football. So maybe we just shouldn't leave.
1: Oh, right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. right. Let's no, we won't
0: actually be want- in this hotel, thankfully. But I hope not. No,
1: no. no. But, yeah. Yeah, that's that's right. There, we, we There's a lot of indie in our future. Yes. But in our present, our, our immediate past and in our future. But, yeah. Uh, well, we're gonna we're gonna break down the championship game, and boy, did it suck! What a wild <laughs> anti-climax. Uh, Pete! What the hell was that? Sully, so, like, can we have that? a
0: six-minute pod where four minutes we make fun of Dan for like bailing out on working like the the actual like one of the most important weeks of the year to be a to be a sports writer? I think this the best way to sum this up, and I wish I had thought of this analysis for the two columns that I wrote tonight. Was Baylor made Gonzaga look like one of the many WCC teams, Gonzaga? dominates during the year like there was like just a distinct level of superiority so i give scott drew a lot of credit um they knew they'd have mismatches on the perimeter they found them consistently and just feasted on them poor drew timmy lost a lot of money tonight because his feet were covered in cement he was completely outmatched and look for as good as he looked against evan mobley he looked unbelievably bad against flo thamba and everyday jonathan like he just, he just completely looked like he got swallowed alive in this game. He was flailing on the floor. It just, it just. I give I give Baylor a ton of credit because they have unbelievable trio of guards, and Gonzaga had no chance of matching up with them. And they just put them in a blender on every play. They just, yeah, spun around the perimeter, got the mismatch they wanted, and then went right to the went right to the hoop or kicked it out for an open three. I think. I saw at one point they were seven of ten on guarded threes. So look, they had a little bit of mojo tonight, but they actually like. Yeah. Did I thought they'd be shooting seventy percent at halftime? Right now they got so many offensive rebounds, yeah. and it just kept and kept it alive. But I, I believe the stat to me that I'll remember from this game, Pat, was Gonzaga attempted twenty-two shots in the first half, and Baylor made nineteen field goals. Like Gonzaga <laughs> couldn't get the the Zags couldn't get the ball up off. They had eight turnovers at halftime. And quite frankly, anything that happened in the second half didn't really matter. There was 26 precious seconds where the lead was cut to single digits. So I was like, you know, you're trying to write because I had to file at the end of the game. I kind of looked up and was like, oh, it's nine. And then uh, somebody hit three and I was like, all right, we're back back to the computer screen and and going. So (laughs) Baylor is a team definitely constructed to compete in modern college basketball. And they just simply picked Gonzaga apart. In every phase, they beat him in special teams, they beat him in offense, they beat him in defense. There was, uh, yes, roll tide. That's what it felt like.
1: I <laughs> know. Yeah, it, it did feel like the football championship, you right, because it was not close. And it was not close immediately. I mean, it was nine to nothing to start. Uh, the first possession, Baylor got three shots because they were hammering the glass. And boy, was that going to be a theme. And the other part of that theme was like, Drew Timmy's just getting whipped for the ball. You know, I mean, like like he's he's not really even going after the ball. And Mark, Mark Vidal's just like, I'll go get it. I'll go get it. And then <laughs> Jalen Suggs, who was the one guy, you know, the athlete that could match up the the perimeter guys for Baylor. He gets two fouls in three minutes and just like right there. It's like, this is a nightmare for Gonzaga. This is over. I mean, you know, you figure 29 and zero that maybe they're gonna make a run, and they just never did. It just never got any better from a fan standpoint of wanting to see one more great game and wanting to see this matchup that we thought we were going to get in December and then evaporated and all season long thinking, okay, these are the two best teams. You thinking, okay, we're just, we're going to get a, a, a brawl at the very, I mean, just a great game, a really competitive, close game. And, it, and from the literal first possession onward, it was not that uh, credit, obviously, as you alluded to, to Baylor, they were so ready. You know, they were dialed in, and they just attacked immediately. So aggressive. Uh, You know, I think you even noted on Twitter that few kept saying they were the aggressor. They were more aggressive, and it's 100% true. Uh, And they just didn't respond. A couple of things I wanted to hit on with you. Uh, Let's start with just the program perception and coaches perception now and what this does. Obviously, you know, Scott Drew has been a guy who has had a lot of success but couldn't get to the top. Uh, there were people who said he, They thought he was a batting and coach. He had the NCAA flameouts a couple of times. Uh, there were people who thought he was a cheater early in his career. What now are we saying about Scott Drew? And then what are we saying about Mark Fuse Gonzaga program?
0: You know, Scott Drew is an inter- interesting case. I think, and you probably would would agree, just, you know, we've both covered this sport for a while. I don't think there were a whole lot of coaches toasting this win tonight. Certainly not in the Big 12. Certainly not people went over. Now, Scott Drew is a very nice man, tries very hard to be liked. Um, I don't think there was like a, uh, I'm trying to think of like like when Gary Williams won the title, it was, you know, 20 years mm-hmm. win win for the, you know, the good The good guy, the big sweater. I don't think there will be. uh, I don't think there will be that vibe going on with Scott Drew. But I give him credit. He built the quintessential modern basketball team, and I think reluctantly, this ascends him. Reluctantly, meaning from the college basketball, everyday college basketball coach, right? This ascends him into into a class and really becoming the face of what I wrote a little bit about this week with Roy Williams and we can talk about, I'm sure in some offseason pod, but like, who are the, you know, with Roy Williams gone and you know, the, the Bayheim Huggins is types on their way out in the game changing enough where they're probably going to be more willing to go out sooner than later. Like Scott Drew is going to be one of the faces of the sport in the, uh, in the future. Now that will burn certain coaches. i mean Rick Barnes was pretty critical of him publicly early on in his uh, tenure there. Rick Pitino, was certainly critical of him um early on like he tweaked the establishment the wrong way there was an nca investigation that didn't find a ton of stuff but i would think via his peers scott drew was guilty by consensus if that if that's maybe a, a would you agree with that assessment pat
1: yeah yeah no i and again there was complaining you know people didn't like him there was some smoke, but I don't think there was ever fire. You know, I mean, they, I mean, to the best of my knowledge, Baylor never had any appreciable sanctions um, for basketball uh, since he's been there. So, well, that investigation you know, ended up with some
0: secondary stuff. It was like phone calls. Okay, and uh, this is probably six, seven years ago now that it came down. It was a couple-year investigation and. He kind of spun it as like an exoneration, like anybody, you know, they, they go under the hood that long in any program, they're going to find mm-hmm. some, you know, phone calls and text messages and everything. Like, I think Scott Drew will remain divisive within the sport, uh, if that mm-hmm. if that makes sense. But he certainly acquitted himself. The, the bad. I was at the 2016 12 game when they lost to Yale. And uh, I was the famous Tayshawn Prince when they asked him about g- getting out rebounded and he gave some like deadpan answer. Like they jumped up and grabbed the ball more than us answer. I don't know if you remember that game at all, but um, yes, I do remember I was working for sports illustrated further proof. that They'll hire anyone at the time. And uh, yes, I, I totally ripped Scott drew for losing to Yale because they shouldn't have lost to Yale. They had Torian Prince for crying out loud. Like I, I think when people get niched, like, I mean, Jim Beheim was a bad coach in the uh, in the in the eighties, right? When he loses to Richmond in a fifteen two game. It's hard to shake that. Bill Self had that stigma hanging over him when he loses. Who did he lose to? Bucknell? like Bill Self's one of the best in-game coaches in the country now. I think Jim Beheim's an excellent uh, game coach, you know, as, as it's, as it's evolved. And I really think it's hard to argue with Scott Drew as a game coach, uh, game coach right now. But I do think there is, there is like an intriguing tension that will always sort of hover over, uh, hover over Drew. I would not say he has been embraced by the hierarchical mainstream uh, of the game.
1: Yeah, no, I think that that's, that's very true. And yeah, he, I mean he goes about it a bit differently, you know. I mean he he, he did have the the people that yeah, in the Big 12 that didn't like him or Bob Knight was one of them. Bob Knight was one of the other guys that, that was critis- oh, critical of him, him publicly. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Um and he wears his religion on his sleeve. Uh that t- may turn off some people, it may endear some people. But you know, one of the first things they did after they win and they had their celebration out there Monday night, Drew Calls the team together. Hey, hey, let's pray. Let's pray, and they get in the circle, and they and they pray. And and you know when Drew gets in there, and the first thing he's going to say on the post game press conference is, you know, glory to God and that sort of thing. And uh, that's you know it it works for him. That's who he is. First of all, that that is who he is, and it also is something that he kind of flaunts to a degree in recruiting. Um, you know, some kids are going to gravitate to that, but yeah, they the the point. You were making there that I mean there is no longer any reason to question his coaching. You know I mean he 100%. he can prepare him, he can X and O, he can manage a game. Like tonight, Gonzaga is so out of answers that they go zone two different zones, two three and a one three one with a trap, and they never play zone. But that's that's how bad a position they were in, which right there was a sign. Oh boy, this is bad. But it worked for a couple possessions, but then. Butler or Baylor figured it out and then they're getting the shots and they've got the best three point shooting team in the country and they start nailing them. And that's, you know, you adjust, I'll adjust to your adjustment and and then I'll beat you. Uh, it was impressive by, by Drew and by Baylor, you know, the it, you, then you look at the rosters, you've, you, you've mentioned a couple times, modern basketball, you've got transfers from not from powerhouses by any stretch, you know, you have uh, Macy Teague, who was from uh, North Carolina, Asheville. You have Davian Mitchell. He came from Auburn, but he was a pretty uh, highly
0: regarded recruit. Yeah, too, yeah, I no, mean. he
1: was. Yeah. Uh, Adam Flagler was from Presbyterian. You got two guys from the SOCON who are out there <laughs> helping you win a national championship. You know, and and a six five post guy and Mark Vital. So I mean, he's put together a roster uh, in a really interesting way, and it's worked.
0: Yeah, and they have the ability to just kind of go small and kill you, but they also have answers if you go if you go big. And I just really think like the image all remember from this game, which really did not have any particularly compelling moments <laughs> or interesting no. things that happen. None. <laughs> is just timmy rumbling bumbling stumbling around the court and being over and being
1: overmatched
0: um now i again you can attribute it to one team like coasted through the semifinal, and the other one played an all-time game and maybe that had something to do with it you had a tweet early in the game pat where one team was in quicksand and the other team like looked fresh you know but hey Credit to Baylor; they were the ones who completely curb stomped Houston and put themselves in position to look fresh and be fresh and play fresh. Yeah. So all, all the all the credit to all, all the credit to them for for positioning themselves uh, that way. But it was just there was a spark to Baylor that wasn't on the other side. And 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 I almost you know, give few credit for going zone. We've seen so many coaches in this. Yeah. Oh, like, yeah. think about Brad oh. Underwood. God, Brad Underwood oh. still hasn't made an adjustment. Like I'd be surprised. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs>
1: from from
0: that Loyola game I mean you just like some of these coaches like you got to try something if you're getting completely outmanned and uh the interesting thing about Baylor was I don't know off the top of my head when they changed but they were a 2-3 zone team for a while do you remember remember that like yeah yeah. sure so I always because they're one of the few teams that actually beat Syracuse in the first round a couple years ago and it was because like you know no you the old tournament thing oh they don't see the zone they can't handle the zone well Baylor handled the zone because they. Than his own team, so it doesn't surprise me that there were answers readily available. Once well, I think I give you credit, did like what it's supposed to, right? Stime you for a few possessions, stun you a little bit. A Few against USC led with the press, and I don't know if it was a diamond or a one-three-one press, but that really rattled USC, and they never recovered. I mean, this was honestly like oh, yeah. Gonzaga's USC game, but just reversed in a lot of in a lot of ways. So yeah. that's exactly right. Yeah, I wish there was like I don't know like we did, it's some sort of interesting viral compelling talking point moment but um yeah let's let's switch gears to a few pat uh i wrote a call about him tonight and i was it, it like in no way did Gonzaga choke tonight or fall under the pressure they just weren't as good like i just i can't yeah, right. i can't no. like digest anything other than they were clearly the inferior team. And I asked he and K- i asked Mark and Corey Kispert about being undefeated and the weight of it. And <laughs> acknowledging my question, like it wasn't going to change the game, but like what what's it like carrying that all year? Is there a collective weight that comes with it? Anything like that. And they, you know, not surprisingly, uh dis- dismissed it in uh, you know, in in some ways. Kispert was like, it's a matter of we lost eight games basically. We weren't winning tonight. And and i few handled the whole night with class like just yeah he used every aggregate aggressor term possible ag 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 you know like aggressive (laughs) aggressor (laughs) aggressive yes he used them all to accurately describe the ambush that they uh that they that they got tonight you know i really think for few he will win a national title and that basically i wrote the column tonight like this wasn't their night this isn't a defining moment for them Mm -hmm. it was a Excellent team that wasn't as good as the best team. And it's very rare that we actually see the two best teams of a season in a title game. This was a terrible matchup for Zag. It didn't work. If you have enough star studded teams and you have enough high seeds, you will eventually win the NSA tournament, just like all those coaches we talked about. There were all these guys who could yeah. win the big one. Yeah. And I wrote that Few is actually the best coach in college basketball now who has not won the big one. If Dan was on the podcast, instead of being drunk in Marco Island, he would say Bob Huggins was the best coach because Dan <laughs> loves Bob Huggins. Few's now been to two title games. Huggins been to two Final Fours. I, I I really think that Few's time will come. Does it come with Chet Holmgren and Hunter Salas next year? I don't know. But I do feel like they are soaring towards becoming a blue blood. And I don't know who knights you a blue blood, like, and how that happens. If there's, like, a double secret ceremony um, where it happens. But, like, Gonzaga has made 22 straight NSA tournaments, and they've had some really high-end teams. And sometimes you just have a three seed that gets hot and you win it. Because, you, you know, what I mean? like, it's just the tournament isn't necessarily determining of who is the best team in college basketball, right? It's like who is the best team over a three-week stretch in that year, and eventually that will become Gonzaga, it, if they continue on this plane. And there's no reason to think with Tommy Lloyd there and the success they've had, they're kind of the, the it program right now. Like, especially on the West Coast, how about no West Coast team has won it since uh, '97,
1: right? Yeah, Arizona. Arizona to yeah.
0: Talk about a drought. So yeah, like your your thoughts Pat, on few. I'm I'm, I'm curious where you yeah. uh, where you land on. On, on how to how to sort of rectify this season with such brilliance being
1: ending with such a thud. Sure, no, I mean he's he's absolutely the most the best coach to not win one at this point, and you know he's, 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 <laughs> take that Wetzel. <laughs> <laughs> Wetzel is Wetzel in absentia is outvoted, and we should note by the way that Wetzel will be asleep because it's two fifty five a.m. in Indy, but we are drinking a a fine. I upland. don't know. <laughs> I don't know. I wouldn't put past Dan to be on vacation, still up drinking beer right now, waiting on the pod. So, <laughs> uh, if he is and he's not participating in the pod, then he's in more trouble. Uh, that's see, that's I really think
0: Dan's vacation strategy, if his pictures uh, glean into anything, is heavy day
1: drinking. So I, he that, might not make tip yeah. off. <laughs> Betty didn't make the second half. I, I wish I didn't make the second half, but uh, no, <laughs> we are we're having an upland. It means anything. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> We're having an Upland Dragonfly. Each of us. It's a Bloomington, Indiana beer. Two fifty-five I, I <laughs> Oh, Okay. All right. Well, I'm sticking with the local microbrew, and it's very good. Um, but so to to get back to, to your question and my answer, yeah, he's Phil Mickelson right now, and Phil Mickelson eventually broke mm-hmm. through, winning majors and won a bunch of them. Yes. You know, yeah. and I I think Mark Few absolutely will win one and maybe multiple. Uh, Next year, they may well start number one. If they get Chet Holmgren, I mean, that dude's like a whole different kind of freak. You know, a seven-foot yes. wing, basically. Uh, you know, so I <laughs> I put nothing past them being the best team next year. You know, I, a couple things I noted in my column that, uh, one, I still think, look, they've got to get stronger. You looked at Drew Timmy's body. And then you looked at the guys that he was trying to bang with, and it's a mismatch. You looked at the Davion Mitchell and the guards, just the shoulders and the the arms and the chest on those guys. Gonzaga was smaller. You know, they weren't, it wasn't just, you know, Timmy being put in pick and rolling, being spindled because of quickness. It was also. Timmy not being strong enough to box out and go get rebounds with these guys and and on down the line for the rest of the Gonzaga guys. Uh they've got to get better in the weight room. I think IPA bodies and, versus uh, HGH bodies. Yeah. <laughs> I'm not yeah. insinuating anything. Just yeah. a joke, but yeah. Gonzaga's great. Gonzaga's going to be great. There's there's no foreseeable ending to them being an elite team. And eventually, as you said, you keep putting yourself in the mix. Eventually, the mix works out for you. Uh, you know, Virginia, Tony Bennett, same thing. You know, you you uh, you get to a championship game, you win it. And some years you lose in the first round. Uh, you know, that's how it goes. But I don't think the Saturday game caused the Monday result. You know, like if in no, 2015, I think the Saturday game
0: predicted the Monday result
1: exactly. Yes, that was a foreshadowing. Is what it was. It was like, holy cow, Baylor is playing great. Gonzaga is struggling like hell to beat an 11 seed. And it was a great game. I mean, the 11 seed UCLA played phenomenally and it was an awesome game. But it was an indicator of who was on top of their form and who was not. Yeah, this was not 2015 where Wisconsin had to wage war against Kentucky and then just hit a wall. They were as good as or if not better than Duke and just hit the wall and couldn't finish. This game, Baylor was the better team from the jump. Here's my question. How good is Baylor? I mean, like, I think Baylor, this was a great team. They had two yes, losses. It really tw- was. Yeah, 28-2. and two. And one of the losses was at Kansas a week after they came back from a three-week COVID pause. They were out for three weeks. They come back. They barely beat Iowa State. And and Iowa State was terrible. And I talked to Drew, actually, the day before that game. And he said, we just had our first practice in three weeks on Sunday. I talked to him on Monday. I said, how was it? He said, it's a good thing we didn't have to play. And, I mean, they were terrible against Iowa State, and they were still very shaky and lost to Kansas. The only other game they lost was in the Big 12 semifinals. That's it, to, to Cade Cunningham and Oklahoma State. I mean, they were really good. And here's my stat. I told Sully I had a stat. First team since UCLA in 1968 to win both Final Four games by more than 15 points. UCLA 68 had Lou in yeah. So well, I mean, I'll uh, I'll
0: I'll try to outstat you, and uh, I'm a terrible stat person. I'm a terrible numbers person. Um, pretty much a terrible person. But the uh, <laughs> the there has been so everyone was like, oh, since 76 and 76, no one's been undefeated. We've actually had no one-loss teams win the title. 76. Yeah. Is that right? I credit Bob Hamill, oh. uh, erstwhile scribe, who hated a young Pat Forty in 1987 <laughs>
1: yes, <he did. laughs> for uh, he
0: for, did. for coming up for coming up with that stat. I had not realized that, but that's kind of like it, for as much emphasis we put on undefeated, that's how hard it is in college basketball. Nobody's even right. gone with one L. Um, yeah. So a two L like title team is puts you in a pretty high echelon, and you know, like I don't know if Baylor would have gone undefeated the whole time, right? Because you can't sit here and say they would have, because we all have recency bias, et cetera, et cetera. And like, look, you get beat by the number of picking in the draft. That's, that's life. That's happened. You're in the big 12. You're not in the WCC, you know? And, you know, if Baylor had got cold in the second half and got beaten by Arkansas, it's probably the national title winner tonight. Right. Like, you know, that's just, that's the NCAA tournament and that's, uh, and that's life, but it's just, it's hard. It's tricky. It's, uh, it's that, but, all right, we've talked about this enough. Let's talk about the UCLA game because we should have had an emergency podcast. Yeah, absolutely. It
1: was so much better. (laughs) Yeah, We could
0: psychoanalyze Scott Drew's standing amongst the bitter coaching set for, you know, we could save that for June or something. (laughs) Like, that was unbelievable. Um, You've obviously, uh, you're obviously exponentially older than me, Pat. So, like, in the lexicon (laughs) of buzzer beaters that you've seen, where did the, uh, the Suggs heave rank?
1: Well, it's funny. I I did write about that. Uh, I mean, we all did Saturday night. But um, to me, I mean, there's now the holy trinity of buzzer beaters in the NCAA tournament. (laughs) There is. It was it was Leitner, and then it was Leitner and Chris Jenkins, and now it's Leitner, Chris Jenkins, and Suggs. You could find reasons to put it third because all right, Leitner. If Leitner's shot misses, they lose. The other two. If they miss, it's overtime. This is our double overtime in the case of uh, Suggs. The Jenkins shot, you could say, should be first because it literally won the national Wins the national title. Yeah. Yeah. And and Suggs even made reference to, you know, he makes a shot and the confetti comes out of the ceiling. So, you know, I mean, the finality of that was was pretty epic. I think the Suggs' play was harder. Now, there was also luck involved by banking it in. But you know for him to individually take that thing and drive three dribbles and get 40 feet and launch and have that dead on wow i mean that was that was incredible did you think and, it was good when it left his hand no you were up well right? uh, i i was up yeah we've got you know the 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 seating situation for the listeners is is Iffy at best, if you have multiple reporters here, you can get one down and one up, one, one court side. And, and then I was up basically in space. I was in like so Noblesville, Indiana. <laughs> from space, it looked pretty good, but I was behind the backboard. So you couldn't tell for sure whether it went in, but you could tell pretty quickly by the reaction. So, you know, it looked good. It was funny. Gosh, I talked to, to Larry Suggs, his dad, Jalen's dad. He had a great quote. You know, he said, he said that he. he's, when He said when Jalen went up in the air, he said it was the longest second he's ever seen. You know, he just he said it seemed like he was up there forever shooting that thing. And, you know, Suggs comes down and starts running towards the, the Gonzaga fans because he thinks it's good. It's online. And lo and behold, he was right. What what did it look like from courtside? So I'm in zone opposite side. And I did not
0: actually Chuck Culpepper, who I gave right back to his hotel after the game, like we we both did not realize it banked just because of the angles where we were. Mm, mm -hmm,
1: mm -hmm. I like
0: it left his hand and I'm like straight on. I'm behind the backboard, too, and I'm low. So I like rise up in my chair and I lean to my left and I'm like Mm. that. I literally scream. That's good. It was my most and I'm I'm a pretty straight faced person on press row as we're supposed to be and as we're paid to be in my mind and i could be wrong about this is the second most like visceral reaction i've had to a moment to end a game the most visceral being when i high-fived you after the boise statue of liberty play <laughs> in the moment of least press box decorum in history of my career um, <laughs> It's probably good we didn't hug each other because that's really what we were feeling like uh, oh, yeah. for the Ian Johnson statue play from uh, the <laughs> immortal Jared Zebranski. So I like like I didn't jump up out of my chair, but I like lead. I was like, that's good. Cool. And then it like went in and then like yeah. and then it's like, oh, wow tonight's going to be busy <laughs> and like proceeded to write <laughs> which seemed like 72 yeah. stories <laughs> um, but here's That's... one of my takeaways too like you know you, we've yeah. been at enough we're very blessed in our careers we've been in enough great games great moments seen some great things like the the thing that i think i will remember 10 years from now other than the shot and the moment and the exuberance was jalen suggs like had a grasp of the moment that was like unlike any 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 young 19 year old athlete that i've ever seen he was like calm poised clear-eyed yet giddy and excited and authentic and like He recalled the Chris Jenkins jumper like he had just watched on YouTube 10 minutes ago. He had seen like a GIF on Twitter that said, you know, Gordon Hayward had to walk so Jalen Suggs could run. Like his his press conference, they should show that every 16-year-old who thinks he's going to crush it on name image and likeness. You want to be like Jalen Suggs. Jalen Suggs was unbelievable in summing up the moment, the history. I'll never be able to relive that. You won't. Like – Jalen mm-hmm. Suggs can be, like, a 10-time All-Star and win three NBA titles, and people are going to ask him about that moment forever. And for him to grasp it, understand it, and know it, like, 14 minutes after the damn ball went in, that, to me,
1: blew my mind. I agree. I totally agree that, that I, like, I came away from that, like, holy cow, this guy has, he does have some sort of poise or presence, you know, of, like, he, he understood it, he appreciated yep. it, he had perspective. I mean, it's like, Wow. You know, and but the best thing was, too, he was also 18 years old and he sat down in that chair before the Zoom call with the press, with us. And the first thing he did is he just laughed like, here I am <laughs> sitting here after winning a final four game on a half court shot, you know, and he put yes. his head back and he just is like. So there, there was that moment of like, holy cow, this really is happening to me. But then, yes, the understanding of of kind of <laughs> everything that went on, man.
0: It was like it that happened cool. twenty years ago, but it yeah. happened twenty minutes ago.
1: <laughs> right. It was right. Yeah,
0: super super impressed by him. I got I got a couple of texts from some of the football coaches today who'd recruited him, and uh, you mm. know he was a really highly regarded high school quarterback. Kristen Peake and I had written about it on Yahoo uh, a couple weeks ago. And uh, yeah, some, some of the football coaches were like, you know what? I think Jalen made the right decision, <laughs> you know, not yeah. playing football, play basketball. I think, I think yeah, that's going to work out. Yeah. I think that's going to work out all right for uh, for, for Jalen. But I will say all the football coaches who I spoke to who had recruited him just loved him as a kid, loved him as a person, Yeah, really thought it was like the, the character shined through. He was an unrefined quarterback because he'd spent so much time playing basketball, obviously, and a lot of people saw a path to him being, like, you know, a future All-American, you know, the, the kind of talent who could, whether it was quarterback or receiver, could have played in the NFL someday. Uh, but, yeah, they were, like, it's rare to see, like, a kid go somewhere else or pick a different sport or whatever and have all the coaches recruited him still, like, rooting hard for him. Like like Matt Simon, the uh, offense co-offense coordinator at Minnesota, who was his primary recruiter, like, he's, like, I, I, I mean, he's, like, the biggest accident of all time. We were texting uh, yesterday. Like, he's just, like... Love the kid. Wants a local kid to do well. It just people are just really fired up for 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 Jalen, who saw him in that football snapshot.
1: Yeah, yeah, no, that's he does. He has some kind of special it qualities to him. You know, funny. I like. I have never. I, I maybe I shouldn't say never, but I can't remember the last time I saw a five star dive on the floor as much as he does. He is oh, all over the floor. You know, constantly. I mean, Great point. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, You know, he, I mean, he, he is just a competitor, which is why he fits with the Gonzaga ethos, you know? Um, But yeah, no, I mean, so your, your lack of decorum, since I was up, since I was watching the game from Noblesville slash outer space, I was able to exercise a lack of decorum as well. (laughs) Uh, And I just, I did this, I stood up and just, oh, which was what I did the kick six. You were down on the field. It's funny we've been at the same games of some stuff now. That's a good point. We've seen some yeah. stuff. Yeah, we've seen some stuff. The kick six, we were both there. Uh, the Boise Hook and Ladder, Flea Flicker, Statue of Liberty, we were there, and then uh, and we were there for this. <laughs> it was pretty remarkable. And the uh, I was also I was at Kentucky Duke in '92, and the similarities between that game and this game were profound there was so much in common but we get to the end now duke finished the deal gonzaga did not finish the deal so there's still that out there um all right pete i want to ask you one other thing and then we can get to some north carolina coaching news but uh Mm -hmm. first just overall tournament impressions you know your experience in indy your experience watching the games covering the games you know the first tournament i ever covered
0: uh, if we're gonna if we're gonna go on the Wayback Machine here, was I want to say ninety seven? I covered the Sweet Sixteen where you probably were there because it was DeJuan Wheat in Louisville
1: and Syracuse. Did yeah. that ring a bell? I was here? there. Oh yeah, yeah. Oh, I I, dr- I drank it uh, at uh, Fagan's and 44's that trip. Yeah, I wasn't old enough to drink at both those bars at the time, but oh, I was probably my still there. God. So, <laughs> oh my, God. I was a yeah. sophomore. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, so I pretty
0: much covered a, a tournament every year since then. I'm trying to remember if ninety seven. Covered a lot of NSA tournaments in a row. Got blessed to do it. It's the, my favorite part of the job. I love the NSA tournament. There's nothing better. So yeah. it was weird yes. for me. I didn't go to the first weekend. Um, I watched at home. Wrote a bunch. Was on a bunch of Zoom. So you're there, but you're not there. This tournament will be remembered as the cathartic tournament that made us all re-remember why we love the tournament. Like the tournament had been this annual expectation for us, you know, as Americans since 1939. Even you didn't cover that tournament, Pat. But like, I just... <laughs> no, but I, I remember I really, watching it. I really feel like... Yes, you're a big tall fur fan. You had a tall fur, like Zubaz outfit. <laughs> <river> from Oregon. <laughs> uh, <laughs> so I really feel like we were reminded of all those emotions. That's going to be like the defining part for me. Like watching Jason Preston, uh, watching... Max A. Smith watching uh, Kevin O'Banner, uh, it, you know, it, there was a weird part where you have a one in eight shot when you're normally covering the tournament of being where the action is. Whereas when I was watching at home, I had a I had ever, you know, every, like something happened and I was like zoomed in and locked into these coaches and these moments. So you almost felt closer to it in a weird way, even though you were further away. That is what I will remember is like the reinvigorating the connection of. Like what it feels like when a team wins and an upset happens and just like that, like adrenaline rush. But I will say this, and this isn't a criticism at all, but there was something missing covering the tournament. Now, I like one of my favorite days of the year covering sports is the day before the first day of the tournament. Meaning if it's a Thursday start of the tournament and you're at a sub-regional or whatever they call the first day, and like the day before, there's eight open locker rooms, right? So you go to the locker room all those eight days and you see teams, assistant coaches, you know, administrators, like you you get eight snapshots of the dream, right? You have the 16 seed hoping and praying. I always go in the 16 seed locker room and I tell all the assistant coaches, just remember, I was the only one in here. All right. So when you win. <laughs> But like it, to me, it's sort of like the ultimate snapshot of college basketball, right? It's the rich, it's the poor, it's the, what makes the tournament great, and so I really like missed getting to know, learning, gossiping, BSing with everybody, and then that helps fill in who these people are. Like if I had been at Oral Roberts, I would have talked to. You know, how'd you guys get at Max Acemas? Tell me about Kevin O'Banner. Like, so you learn these stories in an organic way that like when you're sitting at home waiting to react, you don't know. And so I feel like the players got robbed a little bit because their stories weren't told as well as they could have been this tournament. Because when you're in the locker room And you're around like, even like I joked with Brian Hamilton one day, he was sitting next to me. I was like, I just wish I could go up to an SID and ask him three questions right now. You know, because like, (laughs) you just didn't have the contact. It was just like a weird, and and again, this is a little bit of inside baseball reporter stuff, but I really feel like there were great stories that weren't fully told because you got 10 minutes. Now again, we can call the coaches. We the SADs are great. They they could get your players on the phone and they did that for me. And I'm sure they did that for you. But like there's a serendipity of like learning it, something happens and you you meet the moment and then you can kind of like understand the story holistically. And you just didn't have that in this tournament. And it's not a complaint. It's an observation. And it made me miss sort of the digging that goes into covering the tournament well. Um and I enjoy just sort of popping my head. And I remember going in the Robert Morris locker room the year there were 15 in Providence and they very nearly beat Villanova and probably should have if it wasn't for a bad call. Oh, that I remember she, that. I remember. Yeah, it changed yeah. the direction of Mike Rice's uh, career in life indelibly. Um, but like I remember, you know, Andy Toole was a ghost and I was an assistant. I remember sitting in the locker room and like Andy Toole was like, optim- you know, like, hey, we got a chance, you know, like 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 that feeling of optimism and and that's just like a sporadic random example, but like learning about these teams, learning about these programs, you meeting people, right? It's a huge, you know, for yeah. how many times over the years have you met somebody for the first time, Pat, like who's become a source or somebody you got to know in an NSA tournament locker room? I would think hundreds,
1: right? I, I, well, they meet the person that just came immediately to mind was watching a guy coaching Richmond as a 15 seed in the late nineties taking down a number two seed with a team of just cobbled together guys. And I wrote that guy, that coach, a handwritten note uh, after the tournament. Like, I so enjoyed getting to know your players and watching. It was John Beeline. I mean, but that's the thing. Is, you know, like you watch that team and you go and you talk to the locker room and and you meet those players and it's like, this is so cool. And so, yeah, I, like, I write a note to John Beeline and he writes me back. And, you know, how many years later – 15 years later, he's playing in the national championship game. And then five more years after that, uh, you know, it's it's it is very cool. And you're right that to me, you know, observing is such a big part of our job and getting to be there at the open practices and watch the faces of the players, especially the big underdogs. Like, wow, we are here and they're so excited and so happy. And you never know. I mean, you know, every once in a while, some of those will win games. Uh, and where they're going to go, I remember loving the Northern Iowa team that ended up with Ali Farokmanesh making the shot to beat Kansas. I went and covered the Missouri Valley final. I was like, these guys are good. They're going to be a problem. And I didn't know they were going to beat Kansas. But, yeah, you know, you just you find these guys. You get to know a little bit about them. Uh, you watch them, you watch the faces, you, you watch the way they play, you see them interact, and it's just like, you know, you get much more of a tangible feel than we are allowed to get now. And let's hope that next year when we're covering the them, there are no cardboard cutouts, there are no masks, there are open practices, there are open locker rooms, and we get to experience it all. And I will say two things, two people that came over to the, to the media seating at the end there. One was, was Scott drew (laughs) and said, thank you for all you do for college basketball and for covering us, which is like, wow, you just won a national title. That's very nice of you. Uh, and then two, Dan Gavitt, the VP of men's basketball for the NCAA who, you know, poured as much sweat equity into this as anybody more than really. And you could just sense the kind of the relief and the triumph of like, wow, we actually completed this thing. Uh, you know, it could be because there were a lot of times it didn't look like we were going to get anywhere near this.
0: But you talk about Dan Gavitt coming over, uh, you know, tip of the cap from America to Dan Gavitt, quite frankly, yes, on the absolutely. list of competent front facing NCA employees. Dan Gavitt is one. And I don't really know <laughs> where Mark Emeritt would fall under him. But um, yes, well, I've had I'm not sure there is a two. Is there a two? Well, when you talk about front facing, they don't put a lot of people yeah. out front to face. No. And really, Dan Gavitt is not like. Seeking of that, but uh, so this is a good story for the pod. Uh, so Danny Abbott ran the Big East tournament for years. He was the Big East sort of associate commissioner of basketball. That's where I got to know him. I would cover the Big East tournament. work for the New York Times every year, and every year at, the, the Big East would go women's tournament, men's tournament. And so they'd be like long days because Big East tournament back in the day would start on Tuesday and end on Saturday, which when you have four games a day, it's just like a lot of everything. Right. So yeah, when yeah. it would oh, yeah. end. Dan Gavitt, as traditions, you know, that it would be usually a 9 p.m. tip on Saturday. And after everything ended and they closed the guard down, it was usually St. Patrick's Day weekend. Dan Gavitt would go to McFadden's over on the uh, east side and buy beers for all his staff and oh, uh, yeah. Been throw there, up man. a throw up a uh, throw up a Guinness to uh, to you know to toast a successful tournament. Cause when you're you know, when you're the biggest the biggest tournament is basically your moneymaker. And so if that goes off without a hitch and it goes well, et cetera. So there were more than one year where I toasted Dan Gavitt because I happened to be at the Big
1: <laughs> <laughs> with some
0: of the Big East employees. And, uh, you know, a toast to – He deserves uh, multiple toasts.
1: Last thing, let's just, we'll hit this and we'll uh, I'll hit it and we'll quit it. Can't, can't ignore this even though it happened on National Championship Day. North Carolina hired a coach. Roy Williams, unexpectedly but kind of expectedly, Uh, stepped down last Thursday. Monday, bing, bang, boom. His assistant coach, Hubert Davis, is now the coach there. Your thoughts on staying in the Carolina family and uh, whether this is a good move for for the program?
0: I mean, my gut reaction, is this going to be a great hire that's going to lead to national championships? Or is this Carolina being myopic and staying in the family? My initial reaction would be that I really don't think it's uh, it's that good of a hire. I really think that the North Carolina staff has not been great. The roster really isn't very good. If you look at where it's been compared to Carolina in the past, and if I'm Bubba Cunningham, I really would need from Hubert Davis a clear path to how North Carolina basketball is going to be better and different than it's been the last two years. I think two years ago, they were 6-14 in the ACC. This last year, they ended up in an 8-9 game and got completely smoked by Wisconsin. Like, North Carolina is a little bit just like everybody else right now, and how Hubert Davis is going to make them different is interesting. If you look at the Carolina staff right now, you have Steve Robinson, veteran assistant, was head coach at Tulsa a while ago, a little long in the tooth, not sure if he's like cut out for the next generation and then you have brad frederick who his only qualification to work for roy williams is really that his dad hired roy williams at kansas so nobody in the acc would have told you in the last five years that carolina had like a plus staff it was like they had roy williams they were carolina and quite frankly hubert davis was not considered like an elite assistant like we've seen maybe some elite assistants go through there and and look even the assistants we might have thought were very good don't don't work out so it's a huge leap for hubert davis and if there is continuity on the staff as it goes now maybe sean may gets bumped up maybe kendall marshall gets bumped up maybe they keep it in the family but i almost think you need a little bit of jolt of outside the family for it for it to uh for for it to work yeah i really think roy undercut his twilight with a weak staff and if they're doubling down on that weak staff that's trouble.
1: Yeah, no, that's a good point. is that y- yeah, you're you're asking something to get better with basically the same or perhaps lesser coaching acumen. Um because Roy hey, Roy Roy was a good coach. I mean, he did things pretty much by the Dean Smith book, but he had a really good sense for when to do things, you know, when to throw the trap on and when to you know, change things up. And, uh, you know, he was good. And we just, we we have no idea about Hubert. Really nice guy, worked with him at ESPN, wonderful person. But yeah, this could be a case where you just, you are, you're doubling down on familiarity and hoping it works with no real assurance uh, that it will. I I did, I had somebody, you know, very much in the know there who said, you're going to see a different Hubert in a head coaching role than you saw in an assistant coaching role, like he's he's going to be much more <clears throat> demonstrative, passionate. He stepped back, he, you know. He said, "It's Roy's team. Roy's going to do that stuff. I'm I'm that's not my role." But now there's going to see more of that. That that still doesn't mean he can coach. I mean, we'll find out. But we we have seen here and Indiana uh, trying to perhaps recreate Michigan magic of oh, a former player. Uh, let's, let's see what he can do. And, you know, staying in the family is we've, we've talked about it a million times on this podcast is not necessarily a smart strategy, but you know, I think it's, it's very much, uh, this is very much a wait and see hire.
0: Yeah. I, I couldn't, I couldn't agree more. I think if you're at Duke right now, you're smiling that they hired Hubert Davis. Now Duke's yep. going to face its own crossroads. I don't think Kay has much more than a year left. Right. Like right. they got their third top ten, top fifteen recruit coming in next year, the third five star Trevor Keels committed out of the DC area, who's a big time, big time player, right? Like to me it there's a lot of trappings of like this is K, this is K empty in the clip. All right. But who do right. they hire, Pat? Right. I mean, this is like podcast fodder for a while, but like there's nobody there. There's nobody that there. you hire John Shire. Oh, hell no. know,
1: I mean, yeah, I mean yeah. that's like like but so, I mean you don't hire Weljo, you don't hire Chris uh, Collins. He, you you know, can't really it, hire Capel. He can keep his roster that's together. That's a fascinating one because if they do hire an assistant, it's going to be perhaps even a bigger reach than Hubert, you know? I mean, Whew, good I don't know. That's the really the K coaching tree is not blooming in full at the moment. So I, I don't know what they do. But, yeah, but yeah I, I agree with you that that day is coming pretty soon.
0: Yeah, so here's my thought on Carolina. Like, who's the best gettable sitting head coach you could have got? Like, I would think it was Chris Holt. Yeah, at Ohio yeah.
1: State. Like, it, I, I, I would say. So. You know, I mean, I think Holtman would have, um, would have, yeah. Well, of course, he would have done it. I see. I think you could have gotten Billy Donovan, maybe. Uh, but, but Do there's you? a Roy Billy friction. Going back to the Brett Barup days. See, uh, I think that that's naive. Make I don't that think difficult.
0: Sitting NBA coaches don't go to college. They just don't. I don't think we'll ever see a sitting NBA coach walk out with two months left in the season to go to college. Like that's a Petrino move. I don't think that is going to happen. Like it's not going to happen with Brad Stevens. It's not going to happen with Billy Donovan. Now, if Billy Donovan was in year six somewhere and was sputtering and you could kind yeah, of, no, no, rebuild, that's, but he's that's, been in yeah. Chicago
1: for 10 minutes. Like, yeah, no, he's that's, part of that's a rebuild
0: and, and he's probably making seven. And Billy's a loyalty
1: kind of guy. Like he, he, if, if, if you gave him a job, yeah, you're right. He's not going to walk out, uh, on the job in his first year. That's that's not happening.
0: Yeah. And, like, nobody wants to coach college basketball anymore. For the same reason Roy Williams doesn't want to coach college basketball anymore. It's a gong yeah. show. It's total free agency. It's complete chaos. Like, a quarter of the players are, tra- are, are changing teams. No, good yeah. for them. They should be able to change teams. But, like, that doesn't make it easy to manage.
1: Oh, God, no. No. I mean, it's, it's so foreign and, yes, so transient at this point that I, I would like the paycheck, but I wouldn't like everything that comes along with it at this point. Yeah.
0: And if you're making seven million bucks and all you got to do is worry about garden ball screens and you've got to worry about kissing 15 year olds behinds and trying to court 19 year olds right. and they're eight, get their page. Nah, like that's like it's not even a conversation like yeah. It's not even, to me, it's not a conversation if you're Brad Stevens, if you're Billy Donovan. now if Bill, you're
1: some, I, think, I, I will say, I think that in, in, in a different situation, like if Billy were not in his first year, that I think North Carolina would be the one place that he would come back to college for.
0: Yeah. And I'm not. Carolina is an elite job. It's the best job, probably. Right. Yeah. Like we got yeah. the, the yeah. podcast top over another. But I can't think of one that's like because it's like. Better than Kentucky because there's like a little less crazy. Um, yeah, in it's awesome tradition, great place, great place to live, all that stuff. You just don't have the kidney dialysis fights, um, which just <laughs> makes a little uh, <laughs> a little bit See? better. But I really don't think any. Now look, if you're three years into a four year deal in the NBA and it opens up in June and you can kind of clean break and they don't really want you anymore. Would someone leave the NBA for that? No. But when the whole Brad thing like happened, by the way, the, the mass hole, I go to Dunkin Donuts thing, like endeared him to people in Massachusetts, probably more than anything <laughs> he's done his whole time there. But like Woj yeah. tweeted something that I thought was really, he was like, no one's ever going to leave for, you know, for right. NBA for college. Anymore. And I believe that, like there yeah. could be some crazy extenuating circumstance, but for the most part, like they make more money. They have one one hundredth of the headaches, and yeah. they actually like these guys like the coach. Like they want to talk yeah. about ball screen defense till they're blue in the face. Thank God you people aren't
1: listening to a podcast where we talk about ball screen defense
0: until we're blue in the face.
1: <laughs> See, that's when all right. Wetzel's coming back on Thursday. We think if, if he sobers up enough to get on a flight back to Detroit. And so we will, we will, we will, we will talk ball screen defense with Dan Wetzel. Then uh, we will berate him for missing the national championship podcast. Uh, but we thank you all for listening to the championship podcast. It's three thirty-five a.m. and Sully has got to chop this thing up and get it ready for everyone's ears. So probably Sully's the high real time hero. For us to sign off and uh, appreciate you listening. Subscribe. Uh, Leave us reviews, be kind, thanks for listening, and we will talk to you later this week.